All right, turn to Luke chapter 18, please. Luke chapter 18. We're going to begin reading in verse 35. Luke chapter 18 and verse 35. And the scripture reads, And it came to pass that as he was come nigh unto Jericho, a certain blind man sat by the wayside begging. And hearing the multitude pass by, he asked what it meant. And they told him that Jesus of Nazareth passeth by. And he cried, saying, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And they which went before rebuked him that he should hold his peace. But he cried so much the more, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stood and commanded him to be brought unto him. And when he was come near, he asked him, saying, What wilt thou that I shall do unto thee? And he said, Lord, that I may receive my sight. Jesus said unto him, Receive thy sight. Thy faith hath saved thee. And immediately he received his sight and followed him, glorifying God and all the people, when they saw it, gave praise unto God. Another blind man healed. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus, and we beg you again this morning for the filling of the Holy Ghost of God that the Spirit of God would do a work on hearts. Lord, those in the auditorium here and those that are watching or listening over the Internet as well, how we pray that you'll move upon hearts, save some lost sinner this morning, we pray. And dear God, we pray that you deal with our hearts about our responsibility to you, our service to you, our responsibility to glorify your name and exalt you for all that you've done in our lives. And Lord, we'll thank you for what you do in hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You know, of course, that one of the proofs that Jesus of Nazareth is the Christ, that he healed the blind. As a matter of fact, you remember when John the Baptist was put in prison and he sent his disciples to Jesus, he had a moment of doubt, and he asked them to have them ask Jesus if he was the one that should come or should they look for another. And he said, you go back and tell John all that you've seen, told about the healings, and especially the healing of the blind. For in the Old Testament, although a lot of miracles were done by prophets, one that was not done was the healing of the blind. That was something that was reserved for the Messiah. So in this passage, we have another blind man, evidently a very special story because we find it is repeated in two more Gospels. It's found in the book of Mark, chapter 10, verses 46 through 52, and also Matthew, chapter 20, verses 29 through 34. As a matter of fact, Mark even gives us his name. His name is Bartimaeus. So we have the name of this individual that was blessed to have his eyesight restored and to be saved. A week ago, I was flying, of course, on Monday up to northern Michigan. I ended up in the uh, airport in Minneapolis, St. Paul, before we flew over to the UP of Michigan. And um, there was a blind man there, had his dog. They got off the uh, elevator, and of course, the blind man had to wait for the dog. And we ended up being at the same gate, which was interesting. And to see how he responded to the dog, and the dog responded to him. Now, I thank the Lord that all my life I've had my sight. Now, my sight's not as accurate as it used to be, but I can still see. And that's something that we often take for granted, how much we can see. Imagine yourself as being blind. 
that even though you would open your eyes, you would see nothing but constant and complete darkness. Imagine someone who was born blind, that they've never seen the light of day, nor have they ever seen the moon or the stars twinkling at night. They've never seen a sunrise. Imagine that. Oh, you can get someone to describe those things to you, but having never seen, how do you explain red or blue or yellow or the combination of colors to someone who has never seen anything but darkness? How do you describe a, blur, a bird gliding through the sky to a person who's never seen a bird? Oh, may have heard their wings flap and may have heard the sound of a bird, but how do you explain that to them? Or a mountain range off in the distance as to what it looks like. How do you begin to explain that to someone who's never seen? Completely ignorant of the beauty in flowers or the changing of the leaves or the sparkling snow on a winter's day. Although I hate shoveling it, I do appreciate it when I see it. Imagine never seeing the face of your mother. Or the smile of a baby. Never in your life. For those of us who've been able to see all of our lives, that's hard for us to even fathom what it would be like. There's so much that you cannot know if you've not been able to see. Now, imagine then that you've lived in an age that was less advanced than what we have today. No seeing eye dogs to guide you. None of that ever being made available to you. No such thing. And no such thing as a white cane, which gives a silent announcement that you need extra assistance or to be careful so that they don't bump into you. I mean, a time when Braille had not even been invented. So you could not read. There'd be no book that could be handed to you that you could make any sense out of. One page felt like another page time when there were no schools to teach sightless people to function in a seeing world. A time when there were no government programs to help. We've gotten so used to that for the last uh, 50 years to 100 years practically. But uh, no government programs to help and nor to help with any expense of life. A time when the family can't take care of you in blindness. For all of them have to work just to take care of themselves. A time when there's really... Only one thing when a blind man could do, and that would be to beg. Yes, others can go to the fields. Others can work. Or they can go to the shops, and they can work in the shops. But all you can do is sit in a corner and listen to the sound of the sandals walking by. And then cry when you hear the sound of footsteps. Alms! Alms for the blind! Alms! And that's repeated day after day after day. In the heat of the summertime with the hot summer noonday sun beating down upon you, you beg. In the winter, and you wrap yourself up in what clothes that you have to keep warm, but you must still beg. Or there'll be nothing to eat. Imagine living like that day after day after day. If the rain is pouring down, you must still beg. Or huddle very close to a building, hopefully with the wind pushing the rain away from you. Other people could do so many other things to make a living. But you, all you can do is sit by the roadway 
and beg. And hope that others walking by who can see don't steal from that which you've gotten from some generous passerby. No wonder Bartimaeus was excited when he heard a group of footsteps. A crowd is coming to him. At first, he doesn't know what it is, but he knows it's a crowd. After all, he probably had excellent hearing. I mean, hearing the rustling because that would mean people and people could mean money. And somebody with a soft heart. I mean, he could cry out in just a moment, alms, alms. But as the crowd got nearer, there's something special going on and he may not know exactly what it is. And so he cries out and he asks, who is it? And somebody says, Jesus of Nazareth. Well, he's been able to hear for a long time. And there's no doubt Jesus has been the talk of the entire region for some time. Because he's heard about people who were lame being made whole. He's heard about people who were deaf that supposedly this Jesus of Nazareth has healed. He's heard about other sickness and infirmities. Why, he's even heard that this man has raised the dead. And so when he hears that Jesus of Nazareth has come by, maybe for the first time in his life, there's hope. And so he cries out as loud as he can, Jesus Oh, thou son of God, have mercy on me. He begins to yell, and Jesus stops. You know, the crowd didn't care about his blindness. As a matter of fact, the crowd gets upset with him for yelling. They have a celebrity around them, and they're hoping that he might notice them for whatever need they might have, or just simply to have a celebrity Say something to them. And this man is calling for his attention over them. So they cry out to him to hold his peace. You know, when it comes to losing favor with someone that we want to be able to meet for the first time, people can be awful cruel. You would think that they would take heart for just a moment. And let this man continue to cry out to see what would take place. But the crowd doesn't care. You see, this is somebody who is down and out. But that's exactly who Jesus came to save. They shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. As Paul would say, of whom I am chief, I'm chief. But you see, I want you to notice some powerful truths just from this passage alone. As this blind man gets the attention of Jesus, first of all, there's the hearing. You look at verse 36, and the scripture says, And hearing the multitude pass by, he asked what it meant. I mean, this wasn't just a matter of a few people coming out of the shops to go over to the restaurant to get a bite to eat. I mean, this is obviously a tremendous crowd. And so instead of crying for alms right away, he asked somebody, what's going on? What does this mean? He hears it. He could not look because he was blind, but he could listen. And no doubt he had heard Jesus talked about. No doubt he had heard of the wonderful things that had been done throughout the land. He could have dismissed all of that as fairy tales. Oh, there is no God. If there's a God, why would he let me be blind all of my life? Of course, we know the answers to those things. We know that it's all because of sin. Not that this man had any particular sin over some 
uh, someone else. But ever since the time of Adam and Eve and their disobedience to God, man has had to suffer. And man has had to die. And it's always going to seem that way. And by the way, it never seems fair. I have found this out, that people going through hard times thinks that their times are the hardest. And that's not fair. Because there are some people who don't have the same problems that we have. He may have wondered if Jesus would end up coming close to him. After all, it's a crowd. And the only thing he's got, he can't see him. He does not know which person in the crowd that it is. He only knows to cry out, Oh, Jesus, thou son of God. So he cries out to him. And that's the second part. First he hears, and then he cries out. And there's no doubt as he heard the crowd coming, he wouldn't be able to get through it. He couldn't see. How is Jesus going to notice him? The verb that is translated cry here is interesting. It has the idea of a very loud cry. And he's not just saying, Jesus, Jesus. But he is yelling out, Jesus, Son of God, Jesus. Son of God. Yes, he's heard who he was. Now, what he heard was that Jesus was of Nazareth. And it makes us wonder, had he already come to the conclusion that anybody that could do such wonderful works as he had heard that Jesus had done, that he would be the Son of God. There's no doubt any Pharisees that would have been in the crowd would have been upset by that term being used about this Jesus of Nazareth. But that's not stopping this guy. You know, we've been taught, for instance, in our country today, don't say anything that will offend anybody. So make sure that all your comments are rather generic because you don't want anyone to be offended. As a matter of fact, some of Jesus' disciples thought like that from time to time, for we find a couple of times them trying to get Jesus to be quiet. One time in the book of Mark, he says, don't you know they were offended at that saying? Like it's a horrible thing if people get offended. Now, what's funny is they don't care who they offend. They get after you for saying something offensive. And yet, the reality is, you, as a matter of fact, I was just thinking about this earlier today. Some people get offended because you call them by the right pronoun. I mean, it's a mess of nuts we've got in this world. Gotten absolutely crazy. As a matter of fact, in some places, they'll even sue you if you use a pronoun that although it may be accurate, they don't think it fits them. They're nuts. But you see, he cried, and he cried right. Interesting thing, he cried with both respect and worship. Jesus, thou son of God. This man couldn't see, and yet he saw better than the Pharisees. In John chapter 8, Jesus told the Pharisees who were around him, you shall die in your sins. For except you believe that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. They had Jesus right there. They'd seen the miracles that he had did. They, they saw him personally do those works. And yet they still did not want to accept him for who he was. There are a lot of people with eyesight who can't see spiritual things. They're as blind as can be. Because they will not, by faith, take God at his word. So with respect, he calls him, thou son of David, have mercy on me. A cry for mercy. The humble admittance that he doesn't deserve it. 
He didn't believe Jesus owed him to be healed. He asked for mercy to be healed. I mean, let's face it. We live in a society, we all think we deserve the best. It's not right that other people get better than what we've gotten. And yet that's the way it's been throughout the ages. And who do we want to blame for that? Anybody but ourselves. And we seem to forget that a whole lot of people who have more, it ends up leading to a lack of character and a life of death and destruction. Because money surely doesn't meet the needs of mankind. I remember we had, we had a female come by. We were over in the other building. And she came by one Sunday morning right at the end of church. And she was looking for some help. Now, we've helped a lot of people over the years. Uh, and I don't remember who she talked to. It would have been one of the ushers. And they came to me and said, uh, this lady is wanting some help. And so I said, well, all right, let me just ask you for a couple minutes. Number one, do you know if you died right now, you'd go to heaven? And she said, listen, I don't want any of that religious stuff. I just want to know, are you going to give me some money or not? And I said, well, the answer now is no. I mean, if you don't want anything to do with our Jesus, that's all right. You had that freedom to be so. But I don't know why you'd come by and expect us to take you on down the road. No telling what she's going to spend the money on. Now, we've helped a lot of people in the past, but I'm going to confess to you. Her statement about we don't want any of that, I don't want any of that religious junk, that irritated me. So, okay, fine. Our people gave to honor Jesus. And the way you talk about him, no, we're not going to do anything for you. But he wasn't crying for alms here for his bills to be paid. He's crying for mercy. He has nothing that he can do for Jesus, nothing that he can promise Jesus, nothing he can put forward as the merit to get saved. It's the same way. There's nothing you can give Jesus to get saved. For by grace are you saved through faith that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, as any man should boast. And by the way, there's an interest, just an interesting aside here. We have no mention in the biblical record whatsoever that Jesus ever went through Jericho again. Now, there's no way that this man would have known that Jesus wouldn't come by again. But he's crying out for him. He could have said, well, I'll wait. I'll wait. And if he comes back, then I'll, I'll, I'll try even harder to get to. No, he doesn't wait. He gets it taken care of. I wonder how many people sit in churches just like this one. They're lost. They're on their way to hell. And they think, well, I'll just wait. Maybe next Sunday I'll go forward. Maybe next week I'll get saved. Yet the Bible warns, boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. The Bible says, he that being often reproved hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed. And that without remedy. That's why in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 2, he says, Behold, now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. God wants you saved today. The only way you can be sure of heaven is to get it settled now. Amen. Now. Not to, thank God this man didn't wait. He didn't wait and see what it'd be like next week, what it'd be like next month or next year. He cries out to this Jesus, son of David, to heal him. And Jesus does. So we see his hearing, we see his cry, and we see the crowds complaining in verse 39. You'll notice it says, and they which went before, look at this, rebuked 
him that he should hold his peace, but he cried so much the more. He didn't listen to the crowd. Evidently, there were a few Karens in this crowd who didn't think that a beggar ought to be crying out to bother the Son of God. Now, if you don't know what I mean by Karens, and you've not read the news in the last, in the last several months, and I'm not going to take time to explain it to you. But this man's plea disrupted others. Yes, it did. It offended others. I mean, it, ca- it might cause Jesus' attention to turn from them. He's made a public spectacle of himself, this man has, and now he's getting the taunts of the crowd. What uncaring people. That people could be like this. They could walk. They could see. They've not lived in darkness day after day. Kind of reminds me of the story of a man who was traveling and he stopped by a church on a Sunday morning. And as the preacher was preaching, he'd shout out, Amen! Praise God! Hallelujah! And the usher came over to him three times and said, Shh! Shh! And on that third time, of course, that he did it, the man said, Listen, uh, you, you can't do that in here. He said, but I, since I found the Lord, I just have to respond when I hear good things of him. To which the usher replied, well, you may have found the Lord, but you didn't find him here. <laughs> it's amazing how many people you'll talk to knocking on doors. How many people you'll talk to that say that, yes, they're saved. But they're irritated that you came by to tell them about Jesus. They're upset because you would even ask the question, even though you don't know them. And they'll say something like this. Well, I just don't believe in pushing my religion off on other people. No, we don't push it. We're to proclaim it. We're to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And that is saved or lost because we don't know which is which. Some who are saved aren't. Isn't that right? So even though they tell you saved, you don't know that they are. By the way, somebody comes by to witness to you and you've been born again. Say, thank God that you're telling others about Jesus. That's what Jesus commands all of his followers to do. Hallelujah. Even though they tried to shout him down. Yeah, I want NBC, Madison Baptist Church, to be a place where sinners are welcome. Big and little. Poor or young, or old, doesn't make any difference because it's never been about the money. It's always been about sinners coming to Jesus. And they come in all different sizes, and I don't find anywhere where a six-foot sinner is more important than a three-foot sinner. Took just as much of the blood of Christ to save any of them. Took just as much of the blood of Christ to save me. Several years ago when I was pastoring Battle Creek Baptist Church out between Fiery Gizzard Cove and Sweetens Cove, just north of South Pittsburgh, Tennessee, uh, had a a man, there was some trailers around that area, mobile homes, and I knocked on the door. The man's name was Joe Reed. He was a trucker, so he wasn't home a lot, but I had gone over there several times and witnessed to him, and man, I'd spent two and a half hours there going through the gospel and he would say he understood everything. I said, come on, wouldn't you like trust Christ as Savior? And he'd just say, no, no, no. 
But he kept inviting me back. Well, in August of that year, we went back to Otsego, Michigan, the First Baptist Church, uh, my home church. And I went there so that they would ordain me to the gospel ministry. That was in August of 1975. And so uh, that was 75, wasn't it? That sound right to you, Jan? She doesn't know. It was in that decade anyway when we went back there. And they ordained me to the gospel ministry, and we came back down to Chattanooga. And that next Saturday, I was out there knocking on doors, and I thought, well, I'm going to go by and see Mr. Reed. And so I knocked on the door, and when he opened the door, he said, oh, preacher, he said, I have been praying that you would come by. I said, okay. He said, listen, he said, while you were gone, he said, my wife went to the doctor, and she found out, we found out that she's got cancer. Oh, preacher, I, I want you to pray for us. And I went in again, and I went through the gospel again with him. And he sat there and listened. We're sitting on the couch. We're right there with the, uh, the coffee table right in front of the couch. And I went through the plan of salvation again. I said, do you believe that you're a sinner in the sight of God? Yes, I do. Do, do you I believe if you died as a sinner, you'd be cast into the lake of fire? She said, yeah. He said, yes, I do. Do you believe Jesus died on the cross for your sins? Yes, I do. Do you believe he rose from the dead three days later? Yes, I do. Do you believe if you called on him? I said, wouldn't, he said, yes, I do. I said, well, wouldn't you like to call on Jesus right now? He said, but preacher, I'm just poor and ignorant. He says, I can't even read. I said, well, you trust me, don't you? Don't you trust me to read the Bible correctly to you? I read it to you. Mr. Reed, do you really want to go to heaven? And suddenly, it's like the dam burst. I mean, he just started boo-hooing. And he said, preacher, nobody wants to go to heaven worse than I do. Well, I said, then let's do it right now. And man, we got down at that coffee table and he just cried out to God to save him. Woo, I loved it. That's great. Not everybody gets that emotional, Brother Popwell. But buddy, he was emotional and he meant it. Person has to realize they're lost. They're on their way to hell. And Christ is their only hope. But then we see the compassion. Notice in verse 41. Saying, what wilt thou that I shall do unto thee? And he said, Lord, that I may receive my sight. Jesus seeing the man's respect and his worship and his humility. Jesus stopped for that one man out of the crowd. That ought to be a lesson to us. We almost get to thinking that the crowd's what's important. No, each individual's important. And sometimes it means turning from the crowd to win the one. You remember God used Philip to go up to Samaria, and he won a big crowd to the Lord. And then the next thing God did was take Philip, put him out in the desert for one man. The Ethiopian eunuch. Just one man. And that's all right. If you're too busy for one person, you're way too busy. You've missed what Jesus would do, who would go for the one. Everybody, that meant everybody else had to stop. They had to stop and listen and learn how this man, Jesus, loved sinners. What wilt thou that I shall do unto thee? He said, my sight. Now, this has to be kind of exciting. This man's about to see. He's about to see everything for the very first time. 
in a world where things may not have made a whole lot of sense, he's going to get the shock of his life. Every once in a while, you see those, I don't know if they're commercials, whether it be for St. Jude or the Shriners or stuff like that, where they get together for a child that has never heard, and they get some of that special equipment, they stick it on that cochlear uh, implant or whatever it is, and for the first time, they hear their mama's voice. You see the look on that child's face for the first time. For the first time, this blind man's going to see. Receive thy sight. And then he said, he made the amazing statement. He says, thy faith has saved thee. He called out to Jesus for a sight. Found out that it saved his soul. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works as any man should boast. So Jesus stops, he hears, and he answers, and that leads us to the consequences. In verse 43, it says, and immediately, oh, I like that. We read that a lot in the book of Mark. Straightway and immediately are two of the key words throughout the book of Mark. I know we're in the book of Luke here, but Luke follows suit on this one, and immediately... I remember watching some of those old uh, movies that Hollywood put out about God, about Jesus, and Jesus had healed people, and here's a lame man, and Jesus does something to heal him there in the movies, and, you know, tells him to get up, and he gets up real slow, and he's kind of crickety. Man, that's not the way he healed anybody. When he healed him, and immediately they got up, even the infinite man in John chapter 5, and immediately, over and over again, God does the work right, and he does it completely. What a great God we have. The man received his sight, and the man followed Jesus, the Bible says, in the way. And immediately he received him, look at that, and followed him. You know, I don't know that he gave any thought to that before he got saved. I know when I got saved, I I didn't give any thought to going to church every time the doors were open. I didn't give a thought to it before I got saved. After I got saved, just seemed like the thing to do. You know what I mean? There was a change made. I had a new love made. I wanted to hear the word of God on purpose now. It made more sense than it ever had before because the Holy Spirit of God came to live within. What a difference being saved makes. He received his sight. This would be the time, hey, run to the house and tell the folks, you don't have to support me anymore. I can see. No, no. He got up. He followed him. He followed Jesus. This is amazing. His healing was not the only consequence. We find devotion. When a person gets saved, to follow Jesus just makes sense. First thing we're told to do after we get saved is get baptized. You find it throughout the book of Acts. The Bible says, And they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them 3,000 souls in Acts chapter 2 and verse 41. We find those that believed when Philip was preaching in Samaria. They believed him and were baptized. It's what you do. Why? God commands it. You look in the book of Acts chapter 10 and in verse 43, Peter's preaching to the household of Cornelius and he says, To him give all the prophets witness that through his name whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. Philip and his household believed. And Peter says to those that were with him, Can any man forbid water that thee which have received the Holy Spirit 
uh, be baptized. And then he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord in verse 47. Well, why would Peter command them to get baptized? He didn't ask them to pray about it. I mean, it's amazing how many soul winners are taught to ask people to pray about getting baptized. Jesus commanded the disciples, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost. And so Peter just took Jesus at his word, and somebody got saved. He just commanded them to get baptized in the name of the Lord. He hadn't even given them a baptismal class yet. It's what Jesus said to do. That's pretty plain. As a matter of fact, you study the scripture. Now, the Bible does not record in the book of Acts the baptism of everyone who got saved. But I'll tell you what also it doesn't record. It doesn't record one person who got saved who refused to be baptized. Not one. Why? It's the first thing to do. I mean, you get saved, you ought to want to please him. He saved you. He's given you eternal life. The Holy Spirit of God lives within. Now, baptism doesn't save a person. It's just the first thing that God said to do after you get saved. This man, Jesus said he was saved, and he gets up and he follows Jesus. I don't know everything that took place in all that, but I know he was a follower. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And if you're one of his sheep, you'll follow him. So there is devotion and there is the declaration. He is willing to proclaim. Notice he is glorifying God. And he's glorifying God when they saw it. Uh, and all the people, when they saw it, gave praise unto God. They were rebuking the man a few moments ago. But now with him glorifying God, they give praise to God as well. Getting saved and being silent about it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, does it? There ought to be a declaration. And there's a da dazzle to it. These, these were the very people telling him in, to, to hush up. Now, isn't it interesting? Think about this. As I was preparing the message, this man was blind. Jesus made him to see. And now, man, he's making it known to everybody. Well, what about when Saul of Tarsus got saved? Here was a man who could see. He saw Jesus, and when Jesus saved him, he made Saul blind. And gave him a job to do. That was to go into Damascus and meet a certain man who would tell him what he needed to do next. And then, of course, the scales would fall off. But isn't it interesting? Here was a blind man he made to see and was saved. And then there's Saul of Tarsus who got saved, then he was blind. Well, God always does things right. He always does it for a reason, not that we always understand it, but he always does it for the right reason. The lesson for the saved is that Jesus is the light of the world. And we can curse the world's darkness, or we can take to them the light of the world, who is Jesus Christ. And that is what we are commanded to do. The Bible says, if our gospel be hid, it is hidden unto them which are lost, and whom the light of this world, uh, uh, the light, I'm sorry, I blew it. So let me go over to it. And whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them that believe not, lest, I'm going to turn to it, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I have drawn a blank. 
2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. Now, this is a Baptist church, and we don't believe Baptists are the only ones going to heaven, of course. But we're more narrow-minded than that. We don't believe all Baptists are going to heaven. Because you've got to be born again in order to go to heaven. That it is the gospel of Jesus Christ that is the power of God unto salvation. And that Jesus Christ, not the Baptist church, Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. Amen. He is the one who saves. What we seek to do is turn sinners to the only one who can save, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, for those of us who've been redeemed, those of us who are saved, we recognize that is our responsibility to get the word to the world, to tell them of Jesus, to bring them to the Savior. For 40 years, that's been going on in this place and through the ministries of this place. We need to redouble our efforts. There's more people right now in the world than ever before in the history of the world. There are more lost people in the world right now than there has ever been. And may I say to you, if Jesus said that the fields were white unto harvest in John chapter 4, when there were only a few million people on the planet, not billions... How much more is the harvest, is, are the fields white unto harvest? And our responsibility is greater than ever before. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus. You stood, still do the miraculous. You still do the mighty and powerful. God, I thank you for the story about this blind man. Another blind man that you reached down and touched. Far greater miracle than simply giving physical sight was that you saved him. You took a sinner and you saved his soul. And he followed you and glorified you. Now, Father, I pray you deal with hearts. There's one here without Christ today, a Savior. One who's never truly been born again. May they see their need for Jesus Christ. May they understand that Jesus dying on the cross... Shedding his blood was to pay their sin debt for the wages of sin is death. He paid it in full. He rose from the dead. He was delivered for our offenses. He was raised again for our justification. And to give eternal life to Jew or Gentile makes no difference. To all who take Jesus Christ as their Savior. Father, I pray today if there's one here without the Savior, may they turn to him before it's eternally too late. Have your way in every life. And Lord, stir up our hearts to be our best at reaching the gospel, at reaching the lost with the gospel of Jesus Christ. For we ask it in his precious name.